Father, this morning, the tenth day of this eleventh month, Lord, we come to your presence. We just want to thank you. We just want to pray. We just want to worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you, Father, for another opportunity to praise you, to thank you, to serve you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. This morning, we commit every dear one into thy hands, O Lord. Bless them, heal them, strengthen them, protect them, and use each one of us for your glory, Lord. Commit the whole church into the hands. Everyone who is joined to us, united to us, in spirit, in faith, cover them, Lord. Let God be that wall around them, Lord. Anoint us this morning, Father, to learn more of you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We'll turn to Revelation chapter 3. And we are looking at verse 18. Yes, we'll go to first uh, 17 and 18. So they go together. Because you say, that's where it all happened, because you say perception versus reality. And we do not realize that all of us, the same thing. From the morning we woke up, we've been saying, you need to be absolutely knocked out or dead not to be saying. Because we are always saying things in our mind. We are always speaking to ourselves. See what they said, nobody heard, but God did. Okay, This is the parable of the rich man applied to an entire church. Okay, Because he said, he said, okay, he said to himself, and this is the perception of the church. And in that case, if you look at it, Jesus comes, or God speaks to him just before he's taken out of the world. So he says, you fool. Um, not that he's foolish, because if he's foolish, he couldn't become rich, because to become rich in this world needs a lot of wisdom, a lot of application of economic realities and principles. So he's not foolish that way. But who is a fool according to God's own sight uh, on on his own judgment is the one who lives in the temporal and takes his eye of the eternal. He's the one who lives as God's of God. He does not factor God into his day-to-day or decision-making. If you look at uh, Romans one twenty one, if I'm right, two things are there. Because although they knew God, okay, they did not glorify Him as God. That's the first thing. You do not glorify God as God. Who is God? Like we looked last week or, or on Monday, today's Friday, right? Monday. That <laughs> that uh, I only know dates. I'm not no longer with the days, okay. And uh, uh, they knew God. They did not glorify Him as God. How do we glorify God as God in our day-to-day life is acknowledging in reality that He is the owner and we are just stewards. That is that is where He was a fool. He did not accept or consider the ownership of God. That's what we call the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then they were not thankful. Because when you do not acknowledge ownership, then automatically you won't be grateful. Grateful. 
Okay, ownership and gratitude goes together. Okay, that's how in the last days people will become ungrateful. Okay, children will become ungrateful because they do not realize in so many ways in our homes, we own our children. We own our children. They do not realize parents own them. That and therefore uh, they should be grateful. They should be grateful. So this thing, this question of ownership and stewardship, okay, uh, goes side by side. So this is where the church has an issue because you say you are rich, okay? And uh, the gods, in this case with the church, God comes and tells them. If he had left that church alone like he did with the rich man, then they would have been destroyed, they would have been destroyed. They would never be aware of their true, true reality. And God says over there, no? What it does to you is that you become lukewarm. Because you are a church, so, so it's not unbelievers. You are a church. Okay? Campbell Morgan the Great preacher is the one who said, lukewarmness is the worst kind of blasphemy. It says, Jesus, I believe in you, but you do not excite me. Okay, so, okay. So, but this is caused, please remember, this is caused by ignorance. Ignorance, that's what I said, perception versus reality. It's caused by ignorance. And that's why Jesus says, spiritual ignorance is a killer. It kills, it destroys. Okay? So this church, if you look at it, their greatest need is to see their need. So the simple question is, how does a person or a church come down to this level? Answer, in degrees. How does heart become look? In degrees. Okay? <laughs> to quote the writer of Hebrews, it is by drifting, okay, drifting, okay. They were not washed away by a flood or a strong wind or anything. It was simply, little by little, slowly, slowly, they drifted away. So God says, if we don't repent, we will reach room temperature. And the problem with room temperature is that, uh, like if you look at here, now all of us are sitting here, we are sitting in the same room temperature. Okay, same room temperature. And the problem, it's spiritual room, lukewarmness or room temperature is that we begin to say, I must be normal because I am just like everybody else. Okay, that's the danger. Okay, this is what happens to churches. Okay, when the fire goes out, everybody becomes lukewarm and everybody is looking for, but you look, everybody seems to be the same, so I must be normal. And that is why people in churches and even in homes dislike somebody who becomes radical for their faith and they want them out. Parents will throw cold water over them and say, you're being abnormal. This is normal. This is, you are abnormal. Okay, you're abnormal, or in a church, somebody is on fire for God, you pour cold water over them because you are not a normal, we are the norm. We have to be very, very careful about it because you know what? The thing is that 
I like what Derek Prince quote, you know, often repeated quote, like people sit on the fence and when the Holy Spirit comes, he electrifies the fence. So you have to decide which side you're going to fall on. Okay. So people will say, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come. The Holy Spirit doesn't come. Honestly, let us pray. You can pray as much as you want. He will not come because when he comes, please remember, he comes to take over. And therefore, he knows what we say with our lips, we don't mean in our hearts, because when he comes, he takes over, and when he takes over, things start happening in that person's life. So, we want to be comfortable. We want to be comfortable. Okay? So, this is where it begins. Because you say, I am rich. And the problem is, you become rich to the point that you reach the conclusion that I need nothing. Now what has happened is now, money has now substituted God. This is what always a danger. We looked last week a couple of times, right? On Monday and on Tuesday, pastor's conference, we looked at the issue with them. issue is not with money. The issue is with, uh, because Jesus said, be uh, beware of deception. Okay, and the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches, deceitfulness of riches. We are living in an age where mankind is the richest ever, richest ever. Okay, no generation before us has lived in the kind of innovation and technology and luxuries that was impossible when 50 years, 100 years ago was impossible. So, we are living in an age and that itself, the question is that it's, if you look at as the West started becoming richer and richer, they started turning away, away and away from God and started point where they started denying that there is a God. That's how they all became atheists. They became denying over. Okay, so please understand everywhere this is the push position where we reach that you start thinking that you need nothing. Now, money has replaced God and money has replaced faith. Okay? okay. So now trials like earlier and testings may come, but they don't bother you because you know all these fires of these trials and testings can be quenched with money. Can be quenched with money. You don't need faith anymore. You don't need faith anymore. Money very unconsciously, slowly, little by little by little, it starts replacing God. And the thing is that it, we forget it is God who gave us money. And the issue is that how does it replace God is that what goes out is gratitude goes out. Gratitude goes out. Even if God has given us the money to replace so many things in our prayer lives where we asked earlier, now we don't need to ask for those so same things because God has given us the money to meet those needs. The resultant attitude of faith is great gratitude. But gratitude goes. People are not no longer grateful. They are actually more upset. Now, another prayer request, which was never your prayer request earlier, because so many others were there, this prayer request is not answered, people are upset. 
This was never your prayer request because you had so many other things and you were fasting and praying and asking for God and when one thing got answered, you were grateful. Now all has been answered and something which was never in the picture is not answered. People get upset. People get upset and you need to realize. That's what the Bible is saying, okay? Where gold or wealth has replaced God. It's not God anymore. It is gold. You have become wealthy. And you have need of nothing. But there is a place in the Bible where you can reach a point where you need nothing. It's a place. But that is not the journey this church has taken. That is the journey of faith. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, that way is completely different. Okay, Because you yeah. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, okay, it's a testing of your faith, it's not the testing of your purchasing power, it's not a festive of the power of your money or the power of your gold, it is not, okay. It is the testing of your faith. And what it should it produce? It produces patience. See, if faith has not produced patience, then your faith. Because you need to realize with money, you don't need patience. You don't need patience. Okay? That's why a lot of people don't even wait to pray or to think or to ask to buy anything they want because they got the money. So their money has deprived them one of the most important virtues in the kingdom of God, which is patience and perseverance and endurance. It's not there. It is not there. Because Honestly, you don't need it because you got the money. You got the money. Why should I, why should I be patient? Why should I wait? Okay. Because what happened? That's what, that is how uh, gold replaces God because you are no longer the steward. Now you are the honor. You are the honor. Okay. So faith has to produce patience. The testing of your faith has to produce patience, has to produce patience and patience must have its perfect work. Okay, it must reach God's logical conclusion, patience. Okay, logical conclusion, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There is a way where you reach that. There is a way that as God has ordained, where every man reach should reach there. But His way is completely different from our way. That's why He says, "My ways are not your ways." That's why God's Jesus very emphatically says, you cannot serve God and money. He does not say you cannot have God and money. You can have God and money. But you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Because both compete for that first place in your life. Okay? So, if you try to serve God and money, God says, it makes me sick. Okay? It makes me sick. And then his solution is this, okay? And he gives us the real x-ray picture. This is what you actually look in the spiritual realm. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, okay? So if you look at it, the whole thing has been caused by money, which was given or acquired proper means, but in a heart that was never fully, totally, consistently surrendered to God. Okay? You see, we, in Hebrew, you call God Abba. Okay? And then there was a fake Abba in our times when we are growing up. 
which was a music group. Okay. And that was a fake Abba. And their most, one of their most famous song is Money, Money, Money. Okay. It's a rich man's world. You look at the lyrics of that song. It is literally blasphemy where you are substituting money for God. Money, money, God. Okay. It must be sunny. It's a rich man's world, okay? So you need to realize these are not cash. This is how America in the last hundred years were framed. They substituted gold for God. And we are seeing how ultimately you reach, you reach, okay? The country is on the verge of collapse, literally. And if God doesn't show mercy, it will collapse because he loves them. So he has to break their bread stuff. And they may go into into a terrible crisis unless the church really cries out. Though I don't know what should the church cry for. <laughs> Sometimes you look at Americans, what should the church cry for? What you cry for? Because you have around 10 million immigrants who came in. The country is economically bankrupt. The system is collapsing. And the elections that took on Tuesday was entirely on abortion. What do you, what do you say to these people? What do you say to these people? Okay, what do you say to these people? But leave that aside. But we cannot leave it aside because the word of God is very practical and it's up to date. Up to date. So God's solution. He comes with the, see, He doesn't give us a problem and leave us like that. He always gives us a solution. First He says, this is your problem because you sin. And this is my solution. I'm giving you counsel. You can take it. Or leave it. Okay. And this is where again we need to understand how do we, how do we balance this? Because, um, uh, I said before you life and death, blessing and curses, choose. He says choose life. But he leaves a choice to us. If you choose death, this is what will happen. If you choose life, this is what will happen. But he doesn't choose for us. He will counsel us what we can choose and he will leave it as yesterday when the Nepali meeting we saw that we have to choose the fear of God. But actually there are only two choices, the fear of God or the terror of the Lord. Those who choose the fear of God do not face the terror of God on judgment day. But those who do not choose the fear of God will face the terror even if you are a believer because you will see the terror of his judgment where you lose everything. Because you did not choose the fear of the Lord, God could never teach you. Could never teach you. And if God does not teach you, like in this case, man can teach you. If I were to be a man invited to this church in Laodicea, and there are plenty of churches like that in this current world, which is like Laodicea, you look at all of them and you may misunderstand. This is a church really blessed by God. And you have no clue what to tell them. And you tell them exactly what they shouldn't be hearing. They shouldn't be hearing. But in this case, you need to realize whether it's an individual or a church, it is because God spoke. God spoke. They are able to really know their real estimate. This is, in my estimate, this is what you are. And to put it right, to make repair, this is what I counsel you. And the first thing he says is, counsel I counsel you to buy from me. Okay? The question is, the question immediately we need to ask, stop there and says, how can I buy from God? How does any man buy from God? With what do I buy from God? One, he owns everything. Second, I own nothing. 
How do I buy from God? What do I give in exchange? How do I buy from God? That's the first question. I counsel you to buy from me. Go to leave gold all aside. Buy from me. How does a steward buy from the owner? What does he buy with? Is a question. Okay, that's the first thing. How can I buy from God? Okay. And then it is says gold refined in fire. Okay, refined in fire. Okay. This is where the whole thing, like we looked at ownership and stewardship, is actually tested. The question is, will I pass the Genesis 22 test? In words 1 and 2, we see the test. Genesis 22, 1 and 2. Now it came to pass after these things. So many things have happened in Abraham's life. Started with a journey from the Ur of the Chaldeans in chapter 11. And finally we have reached here. He's around. He's definitely around. The, no, Sarah is still alive. So he's under 137. He's under 137. Okay, he is, he will die at 175. Sarah dies at 127. So he's under 137. He's under 137. So that would mean, um, Isaac is under 27. Isaac is under 27 because you can calculate Isaac's age only from certain incidents. Okay. So after all these things that God tested Abraham. Okay. God tested Abraham and said to him, Okay, you don't see God directly testing Abraham before this. You will see Allah God allowing situations and circumstances to test him. Okay, situations and circumstances to test him. Okay, God doesn't directly test him, but right now he's going to test him because you need to realize that is how you grow in faith. God doesn't directly test us first. He's put us in a situation. He has put us in this world. And we are all part of the system in which we operate. And he allowed those systems in which we live to test us. So there could be famine. There could be barrenness. You could be in Babylon in a, in a university mess. He allows these kind of things to test us. And okay, so Abraham famine was tested, he failed, Sarah's barrenness was tested, they failed. Okay, so some you win, some you lose, but in the process you are growing. If you learn from your mistakes, okay, you learn from your mistakes, you are growing, but sometimes you repeat the same mistakes. That's why Corinthians, we saw that yesterday, any man who thinks he stands, beware lest he fall, because Abraham will fall very badly again in the second same area where at up to Abimelech he says that uh, she's my sister. So the question is why did he fail there again in the same area? And he's failing probably after 25 years. Okay, So this is where we have to be careful. We fell some in, in a particular area maybe 15 years ago and now we have come through that area and we are so confident we don't even think about it. But the real reason is we have not been tested in that same area for so long. Never been tested in that area. And suddenly we are tested back again in the same area. We realize we fall again. 
Abraham falls again over there and he says, she is my, is my sister. Okay, and he comes up with an excuse. But the problem is, he seems to be the one who does not have the fear of God. And Abimelech seems to have the fear of God. Sarah seems to have the fear of God. He who took the initiative is the one who does not have the fear of God. This is how it works. Okay, this is how it works. So God is going to test Abraham. Okay, this is how you grow. If there is no test, we will not grow. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. This is the test. Okay. Now, if you come to James chapter 2 and verse 21, 22, and 23, verse by verse, if you look at it, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? perfect. So you need to realize this is the point he will reach where he will, his faith will reach perfection where he will lack nothing. He will lack nothing. Lack nothing. Okay. Now it, it looks strange. It looked strange because if you have, you have to see, uh, Isaac as types. Okay, Isaac is the sum total of his wealth. Sum total of his wealth. So you have wealth where you lack nothing. Then you take that wealth and put it on the altar and put the dagger onto your own heart and God says you have reached the point now where you lack nothing. You lack nothing. Okay, there's an actual story told about a gentleman who comes and gives a testimony in a church. He's a millionaire. So he comes and to gives this testimony. He says, I know how I reached here. He said, when I came to U.S., when I came to New York as an immigrant, all I had was one dollar in my pocket. And I was attending a church service. And when the offering was by be given, I heard God tell me, give your everything. He said, I obeyed God and put everything into it. And from there, God has raised me and brought me here. And when he finished, everybody clapped except an old woman who said, now give everything. And you will realize it is easier to give one dollar than all your millions. It's easier to give one dollar when that is your everything than to give all your millions now. Okay. Okay. This is, that's a rich young ruler. Okay. This is where Isaac comes in. Isaac is the sum total of the pinnacle of everything Abraham. His riches, his name, his fame, his success, everything. That is Isaac. God says, put that on the altar. And if you put that on the altar and raise the knife, he's not actually raising literally, he's raising the knife over Isaac, but it is actually against his own heart. And God says, his faith has been made perfect. James talks about your faith becoming perfect where you lack nothing. Nothing. Okay. Now you will see Abraham will have nothing but everything. Because once he get Isaac back, he knows. He cannot lose Isaac because he does not have him in the first place. He's given him over to God. Give him over to God. He has given God him over to God. So you cannot lose it because you don't have it. You don't have it. This is when you actually understand I am a steward. And then when you come to, and scripture was fulfilled, 
which says Abraham believed God. This Abraham believed God was first said in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God. I mean, you look in the night sky and you say, I believe God. And now it is fulfilled. Okay, now that is fulfilled, okay. His faith has been made perfect, okay. Now, we need to understand, it is, see the problem is, we have made faith into a theological term, and faith is not a theological term, it's a relationship term. It's a relationship term. That's why I try to use the word trust instead of faith. His trust has been made Perfect, meaning he trusts God implicitly and God also trusts him. And therefore what happened, the next scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. So when your faith becomes perfect, you become God's friend because God can trust you now. God can trust you now. Because if you put your Isaac on the altar, God can trust you now. Because there is nothing left in your life to put on the altar. Nothing left in you. So, people have to reach that point. This is the journey. This is the journey. And the devil knows this and the devil blocks this. And what happens is that the issue is not with gold. The issue is with the heart. Because Abraham is a very rich man. But what happened to this church is the church is rich. It is wealthy. And Unconsciously or consciously, we do not know. Gold has substituted God. God. And if you come to verse 23, okay, you will see. And if you come to verse 24, hmm, you will realize 24, okay, you see then a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And if you read further down, you will see, likewise was not Rahab. The harlot. So God is saying this principle of the kingdom is true for the richest or the father of faith and for the harlot. It makes no difference. And God is not a respecter of persons. When Rahab received the messengers first and then received what they said and sent them out another way, what she did was put her life on the altar. That's what she did. Because if the king were to find out, she and her family would be executed. So we have not put everything on the line. We have not. As long as we have not put everything on the line, we can sing what a friend we have in Jesus, but it is not true. It is not true. It is not true. So it is to them. And the, the danger is, is with money. The deceitfulness of money. Okay, so what what you see is um, the church in the church in Corinth also was going through in so many ways the same problem. They were going through that. They were also a very successful church because they were full of gifts. Okay, full of gifts. Full of gifts means full of people. Full of people means full of offerings. That's why pastors want gifts, especially the gift of healing. Though it's a very good gift and we need healing because people are all falling sick, but the motive intention is different, different altogether. Gifts of healing and miracles is because it brings the crowds, it brings the money, it brings the attention, and after that you start thinking, I am successful, I am rich, and I did nothing. If you go to First Corinthians chapter 4, and words 7. 
onwards. Okay. For who makes you differ from one another? What do you, what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You're already full. Did you see that? You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. Without us. You have read. What does it mean? What does he basically saying? This is why in Galatians 6, 6 is one hidden verse. I'm very ashamed to say that. But when people ask me, I tell you, this is the reason you should say it. Okay. Let him who taught the word, who is taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. Okay. The reason is, why is the Corinthian church prosperous? Because of Paul. You take Paul out of the picture, they would be lost in their depravity, headed towards hell. Okay? Yes, we give, we give gratitude to God. But God didn't unilaterally work in men. He always used a vessel. Only in rare cases, like whether it is a Noah or an Abraham, God unilaterally speaks to him and then through him he speaks to others. But his usual format always is, he speaks through men. And the problem is we don't value what you received. You don't value God. Therefore, you don't value the servants of God who brings the word. So he said, you have reigned as kings without us. Indeed, I could wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. He says, you have forgotten us. You have forgotten us. Okay, you have forgotten us. Okay. So here they are saying, we lack nothing. You are rich, you lack nothing. Okay, you lack nothing. We don't realize how this is the deceitfulness of success. We say in English, nothing succeeds like success. Yeah, but nothing destroys also like success. Nothing. You see, when Solomon reached his pinnacle, God came to him many times and warned him, but he wouldn't take his warning. wouldn't take God's warning. He tried to one David in dreams he came and said don't go this way don't go this way don't go this way and the question is why didn't why didn't Solomon listen to the warnings what caused him to turn a deaf ear it is success okay when Uzziah became successful that was when he's but he forgot who made him successful this is the danger when we become because what money does to our mindset we have to be careful is that we forget we are stewards and we become honors. We think we can spend it whichever way we want. Whichever way we want to. And then we run into trouble with God. And if God doesn't waken us up, okay? So remember Jesus, Jesus teaches his disciples, okay? You should, we should lack nothing. We should lack nothing. But the reason we reach that point is because we took the right way. Jesus will tell his uh, disciples towards the end, when I sent you out without anything, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. That is the way. That is the way. We know we lack nothing because I realize I am a steward. He is the owner. He meets my needs and I am eternally grateful for that. That's why the Bible says, first thing is not praise, it is gratitude. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Who thanks? Not the honor. Honor. The honor doesn't thank. The honor receives thanks. The honor receives praise. 
And when we haven't thanked God this morning or praised Him, we have failed to acknowledge that He alone is the honor. Okay, this is where people go wrong and people do not realize so. Unless we see the solution, okay, okay, unless we see the solution, okay, the issue is that we don't even see the problem. We don't see even the problem. If we don't see the problem, how do we see the solution? Okay, so if God doesn't come and show us the problem, okay, he shows us the problem and uh, we can't have a solution. But if you look at this, if when we, when we look at the solution, which God gives. God gives the solution, okay? You look at the actual solution which he is talking about. We realize, oh, this is where the problem started. And this is where the problem was aggravated. If you go to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, okay? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him into him and dine with him and he with me. This is the problem. When gold came in, God went out. Now gold and how to make more gold is occupying your heart and God is no longer there. And this is the problem. Okay, the problem. Okay, Christ is no longer the center of a person or a church's life. So the solution is not to go out and do more works. The solution first is to let him in. Let him in. And take his rightful place in our lives. Last Sunday I said, make a commitment. Maybe you haven't, maybe you did, you forgot. But can you make a commitment? That's where it begins with. Okay, that's where it begins. Can you go on your knees one-on-one with God and say, I invite you back in, okay? You are there in my life, but you are not there in my heart. You are there in my life, but you are not there in my heart. I think about you probably towards the end of the day or when I have trouble. Okay, when I have trouble. And I think about you less and less and less and less because I have more and more and more money. So whenever there is a problem, I don't have to think about you because I got the money to handle it. I got the money to handle it. So unconsciously we have started serving mammon. We have started serving mammon. So what happened is... He's gone out. But something has replaced him. Okay? This is, this is the test. So he is saying, first, I stand at the door and knock. Okay? Standing at the door and knock. But it is a voice. If anyone hears my voice, he says, you have to hear my voice. And you have to open the door. I won't push it. I won't break it. You have to open the door. Then, I'm coming for a purpose inside. I'm coming to dine. It's a table set for two. There's no third person here. It's a table set for two. I will come into him and dine with him because it is written to a church. But now he personalizes it because a church can't do it. Only individuals can do this. I will dine with him and he with me. This is the solution. This is where it starts. This is where it starts. Okay. We need to realize this is, this is why Paul uses the relationship of Christ to a marriage. Because what happens with men or women is the whole day they are busy. They don't give a thought to the spouse who's waiting. 
spouse was waiting. And then in the evening, in the night, when they tried to act as everything is alright, what they realize is the relationship is actually breaking down. And God knows in the last days it will be so terrible because we will be full of activities, information and wealth and pursuit of wealth and pursuit of pleasure. All these things will be magnified like never before. Therefore, he has given us ways and means to be in touch. <coughs> to be in touch. But people don't make use of it. They don't text. They don't call. They don't eat. They don't fellowship. And what happens is the whole thing is actually breaking down. Because he uses a temporal to teach us the eternal. Because in the same way, you can have the same thing with God too. Okay, now if you go to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. Okay, Genesis chapter 40. Uh, okay, 39. Let us go to 39 and verse 2. Genesis 1 and 2, 39, 1 and 2. Okay? Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Okay? And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Let me ask you this question. He's in a workplace. He's a slave. He's working 24-7. But how can the Lord be with him if the Lord is not in his heart and he's constantly reminded of God in communication with him? How can the Lord be with him? How can the Lord be with him? How can the Lord be with you? Okay. So we need to realize okay, that, that is why we keep telling people, especially married people, do not ever forget who you are working for. Who you are. Two, and I, I have been telling this for the last 40 years, 30 years, 40 years in my life. There are only three priorities in my life. It is my God, my family, my church and nothing else. Nothing else. That's how you guard your heart. God Family, church, nothing else. Absolutely nothing else. The reason I'm working is for God. The reason I'm working is for my family. And the reason I'm working is for my church. Nothing else. So God is with him. The question is, why is God with him? Because he is with God. His mind is never detached from God. Never detached from God. And this is the solution God is giving people. He says, you know what? I'm knocking at the door. If you let me in, if you let me in, I will come. I will come. And I will, I will dine with you. Okay? Now, dining is connected with fellowship. It's not problem solving. Okay? When you go to God only as a problem solver, it is like, uh, you going to the supermarket because you need to buy something. Buy something. Okay? God is our problem solver, but he's much, much more than it. Okay, So the Bible will say God was with him. The Bible will say when he's thrown in prison, the God is with him. Okay, And the Pharaoh and Potiphar, all the Gentiles are recognizing that his God is with him. God is with him. In Daniel's case, the king realizes his God is with him. God is with him. Okay. But what happens is, when gold replaces God, all these things start falling apart. And most believers go that way. 
They take Christ, think about Christ only when there is a need. And when gold starts taking care of those needs, they think less and less and less of God. Less and less of God. So when God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he still means it. He still means it. When God says, anyone who wants to come after me, okay, come after me. Okay, it's in Matthew 16, 24. Anyone, right, he says, okay, said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, first thing, let him deny himself, take up his cross. These two people do in the world also, please understand. The third thing is that, why do you deny yourself? Why do you pick up your cross? It is to follow him. Just to follow him. Okay, he says, you will have to do these things. But there are a lot of people who deny themselves in the world. There are a lot of people who have picked up their own cross and have been very successful in this world. But it was never to follow. Because you can deny yourself and take up your cross to follow gold. In the pursuit of gold. The pursuit of success. The pursuit of a reputation. The pursuit of a name. The pursuit of whatever your dream. You have a dream. You have a dream. Okay, you have a dream. Okay. and But this is not the reason. The reason is follow me. Okay. So that's what he is talking about. So, he says, let me in. Because you need to understand, relationships are built one day at a time. Okay. One brick at a time. And sometimes when the bricks fall down, they have to be rebuilt one brick at a time. Brick at a time. You cannot speed these things. It's like wanting your child to grow. It doesn't. It takes its own time. Relationships are like that. That is where patience is so important. Let the testing of your faith produce patience. So the simple question is, testing of my faith produce, but what do I need patience for? You will realize that the most important quality in relationship is patience. Patience. Okay, patience. Like if you are a man, when you get married, you realize you need patience. Because the other person doesn't understand you. Doesn't understand you. She came from a different world altogether. Okay? Different world altogether. He needs patience. She needs patience. Because if you want to build a relationship, you need patience. And then when you get a, you have a child, you realize now this patience is taken to a different level. This child is totally helpless. It doesn't matter what counsel you give the child, the child cannot hear or understand. So you need patience completely different. Like George texts me in the morning by saying that Elia was giving all kinds of us very uncomfortable, very restless and all. So finally I started praying in tongues and she quietened down. She loves her heavenly father's language better than her own father's <laughs> language. Okay. Now you need to realize, okay, you cannot put a baby to sleep. Sometimes they don't want to sleep. So the question is, through it all in relationship, the most important thing is patience. And you need to realize we are not consumed because of God's patience. 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 Okay, and that's what he's talking about. Primary, primary, primary relationships, okay? Where the primacy of relationships overworks. Overworks. Okay, primacy. He says, I'm standing at the door. Okay. 
if you hear my voice first if you hear my voice and open the door because men have usually normally men have an issue with it because when the wife complains the men will say but don't i didn't i do this didn't i do this he's, he's always pointing to his works didn't i do this didn't i do this didn't i do this didn't i do this didn't i buy you this didn't i get you this but uh, the woman is not talking about any of those things or denying any of those things Okay, any of those things. And the same thing is with believers. Or didn't I fast? Didn't I do this? I gave my tithes. I gave my offering. I don't miss church. And God says, but you didn't spend, spend time with me at all. You didn't put everything to rest in your mind, in your heart. Put everything aside and try to see you. Even when you come to me, you come to me as a problem solver. I am your problem solver, but that cannot be the reason you come to me. It cannot be the reason. You don't come to me putting aside all these things. And then okay, as soon as we say, cast your burdens onto Jesus because he cares for you, you put it down and you go away. I said, yes, cast your burdens and let us talk. Let us talk. Let us dine. Let us have fellowship. Let us talk. Because I want to talk to you. But that is the issue with this church. And if you look at it, what consumed their time? This is a pursuit of money. It can be a pursuit of anything else. In this case, it's a pursuit of money. So if you come back to Revelation chapter 3, 18, he says, no, 17, 18. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. What is that? It is a relationship which has been tested. Test. A relationship that has been tested. So Abraham will receive promises from the time is called in the Arab Chaldeans. But at 22, the promise is sealed. Because he's been tested. He has been tested. Your relationship has been tested in fire. Fire. Okay. And you will realize in life also, those tests happen. Okay. Tests happen. Though we begin our marriage signing on to this test that will come for better or worse riches or poverty, health or sickness, but when worse comes and sickness comes and poverty comes, relationships get strained. It gets strained. We do not realize both are tests. Poverty can lead to divorce. Riches can lead to divorce. Better can get to divorce. Worse can get to. Sickness can lead to divorce. Health can lead to divorce. We don't realize these are all tests. These are all tests. But when we started the journey, we started making a commitment that you can, I can be tested. And I will come through. I promise you. I go through all these tests. I promise you. Promise you. We shall hang in together until death. Then realize, okay, and God tests because he doesn't test anything else. He tests these two things, our relationship with God and our relationship with man. So the second thing he says, buy from me white garments. Okay, white garments is important in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, garments, Revelation 3, 4, especially 3, 4 and 3, 5, white garments. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Okay, so garments. So he says, buy from me. Buy from me. 
If you look in Revelation 24 and verse 4, the 24 elders, okay, the 24 elders. And I saw around the throne, 24 thrones on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, white garments, they are there again. When you come to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 and then 13 and 14, the ones who come through the tribulation. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count. Number of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And 13 and 14, he will ask the question, who are these? Okay, who are these people? And the Bible's one of the elders answered saying, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? He said, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And how did their robes become white? They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So this is the first thing we need to realize is this. Buy from me. What do I need to do by? First and foremost is the church has to humble itself. You do need to realize when the letter, the first letter the church was, Corinth was written, by the time you get the second letter, they have humbled and they have repented. It is not easy to buy that because you have to pay a price, which is your pride. And most relationships are destroyed because people are not willing to pay the price. They will not humble themselves and say, I'm sorry, my priorities were wrong. If husbands and wives went back today and said, I'm sorry, my priorities were wrong. I should have put you and my home first. There would be a miracle in this world happening. But people will not do it either with man or with God. Will not do it. So that we have to buy it. We have to buy it. We have to be willing to pay the price. The question is, will we pay the price? It's a price you have to pay. And people will not pay the price. But if we pay the price, what we get in return is what God offers. So the first thing is that, who are these people? These are the people who came out of the great tribulation. So it took tribulation for them to humble. Humble. They had to be brought to their knees back against the wall. And then they repented. Then they turned to Christ. Then they exchanged their garments. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now if you look at verse 15 here, it's interesting, verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. You know what happened? Now God is back in the center of their lives. Now that they are not serving self, they are not serving gold. They are not serving. They are serving God. They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. God said, isn't this what I asked you when you were on earth? Did you have to go through this? Did you have to go through this? This is what I asked you on the earth. But they had to come through tribulation. Okay, tribulation. Okay, and verse 16. Of that. They shall neither hunger anymore, thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. What does it mean? They shall lack nothing. 
this is okay. They shall lack now nothing. And why? Because Christ is in the center now. The Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's coming back to the same thing. Okay, so if you come to Genesis chapter, sorry, Revelation 19 and verse 8, you will see again the garments. This is the bride. Okay, she's the smart one. Okay, it was, to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper. So what is happening? Another picture is shown. These are the wise ones. These are the wise ones. When they were living on earth, they decided we are going to live by faith. Faith unto faith. The object of our faith is God. Okay, faith unto faith. What does God say his priority is my priority? I am going to live by faith. So now she, these are the righteous acts because there is a righteousness that comes by faith only. Only by faith. So now all their acts are put together and has become their garment. Have become their garment. So God is telling the church over here, what has brought this intimacy? Is it gold or is it faith? Or trust? Okay, he says, buy from me, buy from me. He's saying what? White garment, because if you look at Isaiah 64 and verse 6, Isaiah 64 and verse 6, okay, we are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness, not unrighteousness, our, this is our best. This is a man's best, are like filthy rags. This is our best. Okay? This is our best. And God says, buy from me white garments. Okay? I'm telling you, it is not easy. It is not easy. You mean my works mean nothing? God says, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. It is not very easy. It's not very, if you go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 to 9. Okay, 3 to 9. This is how a man who reconciles and accepts and receives the white guy. Philippians chapter 3. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. But that is not how we began. All his confidence was in the flesh. Uh, a part of the confidence in the flesh is a confidence in gold. Okay. Those who do not have so much gold are still not worried because their confidence is in their knowledge. That's what we call knowledge is power, gold is power, all this is power. Okay, so they have confidence. So this man says, I have no confidence in the flesh. First he gives his bio data. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. If you come to verse 6, he says, when it comes to zeal, I was persecuting the church because I was zealous for Yahweh. Zealous for Yahweh. Like Hamas is zealous for Allah. Paul was zealous for Yahweh. Okay? Zealous for Yahweh. And 
concerning righteousness which is in the law blameless which is what hamas cannot say even according to the law they are not blameless they are reprobates because of what they did what they did even their law will not allow what they did to babies okay will not allow but what things were gained to me were gained to me okay i ha- i have i have issues with people who try to like no look only at one picture of what hamas did to the babies Hamas did to the babies. Okay, the very women. Uh, like there was this question asked. There was a picture where that was shown of right now from Gaza, where in the Gaza area where they say there is no fuel and no electricity and all they are showing. If there is no fuel, how are the rockets going? Because the rockets need fuel to go. How are they shooting rockets? Second, there is no electricity and they are showing a screening. Hamas leadership is showing on the screen what they did in. Egypt sorry in Israel and hundreds thousands of people are standing and watching and they were talking about how in US people are pulling down the posters which the Jews had put in about what they did to their children and most of the people almost everyone is pulling down the posters are women are women it's not usually men it's women mostly white women and a few colored also it is women who are pulling this all down radical leftist liberal women pulling down these posters and then this person shows his picture and says you are pulling down these pictures of what hamas did and i want you to take a picture that is coming from gaza and says do you see something in this picture what it is there are no women in that crowd they are not allowed to be there in that crowd well in this country where you have the freedom to be out you don't realize what you are doing and then now other question is what did hamas do they slice the babies young lady when you go to the abortion clinic what do they do they slice the babies so in what way are you different from hamas what way are you different from hamas so my question is not that be quiet don't be an activist because what they did to the babies we are born is what you do to the baby in your womb so you are also hamas Hamas means violence. There's no difference. There's no difference. Okay, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying just keep, keep, keep quiet. Keep quiet. Okay, don't be an activist because you know what you stink. If you keep quiet, we can understand. Okay, if you keep quiet, you're okay. I didn't realize I too am a Hamas. I too am a Hamas. I also butcher because that's why they will not. Allah. That is why the the interesting thing is that I can tell tell you when I was studying in school, in school I had this book somebody had brought. I think my brothers or somebody those days they were distributing. In the 1980s, if I'm right, 70s, 80s, this book was from a some church. They were pro-life, of course, and they were describing in it how abortion is actually done. after that i never read this but that picture always remained up in different ways where it is because you need to understand you need to realize that now when they are fighting for full term abortion and all you need to realize we had a child that was born 2 months ago we had a child and it was a crisis delivery and they had to finally go for c section because the baby was big you need to realize if you are carrying a baby in your womb the baby if you want to abort the baby will not come out normally you have to slice it it cannot come normally 
How is it possible for the baby to come out? It is not possible for the baby to come out. So, either you have to slice it or the other way, they vacuum it. Do you know your vacuum cleaner? You vacuum it. Okay, so you are so upset about what Hamas did without even realizing this is what you are doing. And Ohio, a red state, went, went and voted for the abortion right to be enshrined into your constitution. Now it is for till Jesus comes. Okay, that's why I say I'm not Republican. Because most Republicans are also not believers. I am for Christ and for the believing church. Because this, and the leftists, like the devil, are very good at selling. So they will always make it into a right issue. And I understand it is a right issue. It is a right issue. Because in politics, uh, labeling matters. It's like marketing. Politics is the marketing for power. Okay, so in marketing, labeling matters. You have to market. That's why some of our messages you will suddenly see. More people have watched. It's simply because of the label. Because there is a title. And look at the title and it causes so marketing. This is where the marketing, the labeling has to be important. Where you cannot be in today's climate in America, you cannot be anti-abortion and win an election. It's not possible. It's not possible. Because the majority of the people are looking at it as a right issue and majority of the people who usually vote are women and women because they have come through tyrannical patriarchy for centuries and centuries see it as an invasion of their rights. They are not looking at the baby. Please understand. Don't misunderstand what is happening. The women are not looking at their babies. And many women who are voting for this Abortion right have never done an abortion in their life. They are not fighting for, they are writing for their right. And it's a God-given right. I said before you, life and death, you choose. So what they are choosing is, they are giving a God-given right to choose, to, to kill. But where we go wrong is we are not, we are not selling it right. We are not selling it right. What the believing people in the country should do is that we don't sell the way they sell. We have to change it. We have to sell adoption. Adoption. If I am right of the 50 states in America, if my memory is right, my, this thing, around 2016 or 26 states have boxes. Where boxes are killed, kept where a woman who does not want a baby can drop the baby in the box. The automatic the box is triggered. It comes to a particular temperature and gives the woman enough time to get out of the place and then the alarm goes and they come and pick the baby and it goes into adoption. Now, these are things that happen in that country because of the Christian ethos. This is what should be told. This is what has to be told. Stop talking abortion. What should have happened was happened. What did the Supreme Court do? It left it to the states. Let them, because what is ultimately democracy? Democracy is the will of the people. So if the majority wants abortion, let them do it. But we have to sell something else. What do we have to sell? Because if you see um, what you call... Uh, Prohibition never worked in any country. Whenever they tried prohibition, prohibiting, which started? They started making from America to BR everywhere and people died. 
Okay. So if whenever people try to ban abortions, what happens is it went into the black market and people died. Women died and children died. I am not saying that it shouldn't be banned. Where it can be banned, let them ban it. Ultimately, you call yourself a democracy and democracy is the will of the people. And if 51 person wants it, let it be enshrined. But what should the church do? It should sell adoption. It should sell adoption. They will say, please, please, we have an option. Okay, You are pregnant, you are a teenager, you are a pregnant, you are this thing, no? Please, like you give secrecy to abort, even in schools, we offer you secrecy to adopt. Nobody has to know. Nobody has to know. We'll take care of your babies. We'll take care of the baby. That is how you have to become. Otherwise, you become an activist like them. You will lose. You will lose. You will lose. Okay, you will lose. And this is where we have to be very, very careful because you need to realize it's all playing out before our own eyes. Okay, Because the church has to be smart. So here is a man. He says, what things were gained to me? These were all gained to me. These I have counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and the key is that I count them as rubbish. Count them as rubbish. This is what he's talking about. Please understand what does garments mean? Garments mean. Okay, garments mean. Garments basically means our reputation. Our reputation. Okay. Comments. God's saying is that your best, your best to call your righteousness is like filthy rags. Do you want to enter into heaven with that reputation? Or do you want to enter into heaven with my reputation? But for there has to be an exchange. There has to be an exchange. How do you want to stand, he says, clothed before man and naked before God? Or clothed before God and naked before man. What do you want? If you, if you, if you, if you look at it, they come together. Gold and garments come together. If you have doubt, go to James chapter 5 and verse 2. You will see how consistent scripture is. Okay. Your riches are corrupted and your, your garments are not it. The holes in it. Riches and garments, okay? You need to realize garments is your reputation. What you see is gold and silver has gone. Whose gold and silver? Job's gold and silver is gone. Okay? Gold and silver is gone. What he is holding on to is his reputation. Holding on to his reputation. If you look at Job 2 and verse 9, 2 9, we see his words, we don't realize what his wife is saying. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Are you still saying you're a righteous man? Are you holding on to your righteousness? Curse God and die. He refuses. Okay. Then after that, all the exchanges, 
One friend comes and says, he defends. Second one comes and says, he defends. Third one, he comes and says, what is he? He's holding on to his garments. He's holding on to his garments. Okay. And then in chapter 32, verse 1, the youngest one, he waits for four people to speak because he's a very respectful young man. And I should, I wish all people were young like that. All these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. So do you know what he's trying to hold on to? He's holding on to his reputation, his garments. Okay, holding on to his garments. And then ultimately God speaks. When God speaks, he realizes the righteousness God is offering. God is telling Job with all that, do you know how you stand before me? You're standing naked, uncovered. Buy from me. Buy from me. Get rid of this self-righteousness. Get rid of it. No? That's, that, that is, that is the whole thing. That is why we always hark back to our past. We, if you notice, we never talk about our past failures. We only talk about our past success. We never talk about our past failures. We talk about our past successes because those are the garments you are holding on to. Holding on to. You know? So, this is how it works and the most detailed teaching in the Bible is in the life of Joseph. If you come with me to Genesis 37, 3 and 4. Thirty-seven, Genesis 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. So what happened is he's an old man. He loved his son. Okay, he loved his son, he loved all his sons, he loved this one a little more. Okay, the thing is that he gave him a coat. And the Bible says, when they saw, when they saw, when they saw. Okay, this is where it begins, when he saw. Okay. This coat represents all that Joseph is in his father's house, his integrity. And we'll realize the first thing that will go is that is torn out. Because he has to buy. He has to buy. This is his integrity. Not the righteousness that comes by faith. He has to buy. He has to buy. Okay? That's the first thing that is taken out. When you come to 39, verse 12 and 13, he has another quote. Okay? She caught him by his garment. Saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. So it was when she saw that he had left his garment in his hand, in her hand and fled outside. This is what his integrity. Hard work and ethics and morals. Okay? That is also stripped. Then when you come to 41 and verse 14. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothing. His third coat is being removed. Now what is the clothing that has been removed is the one which he had received in the prison to become second to the order. Okay. That is also is taken out. Okay. Now the, the reason he's been put a new garment is just to stand before an earthly king. To stand before the king. Okay. Stand before the king. 
Then when you finally come to 41 and verse 42. Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen. Okay. This is what God is talking about. Buy from me. Joseph had to be stripped of all the other garments before he could be dressed by Pharaoh. Okay. The first garment was the one of loyalty to his father. Second and third were of integrity. Okay. Fourth, he was dressed because he had a gift. He was a gift will stand before kings. You have a gift. Nobody knows your character. All they know is that you have a gift. Okay. You have a gift. And it was a gift that brought him. Nobody knows anything about him. The only thing they should know about him is the man who interprets the dream. How come he's in the prison? But he has a different quote. What is the quote? He has got a gift. He has got a gift. But when you come to the fifth one, you will realize he's dressed by the king. Dressed by the king. And this is what God is talking about. God is talking about. When you walk by faith, by faith, and by faith, I'm dressing you. I'm dressing you. That's why riches and garments go together. They go together. They go together. And when the incarnation took place, when the incarnation took place, when God became man in Christ, in in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and then Philippians 2, 7, do you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty, you through his poverty might become rich. What's the first thing God did? He became poor. Though he was rich, he became poor. Okay? He became poor. And literally, he became poor. Okay? Then the second thing, no, 2, 2, 2, 2, 7, not 9, 2, 7. Okay? 2, 7. Second thing he did, he made himself of no reputation. He took all his garments off. Garments off. Took it all off. Nobody had any clue who he was. He had all the reputation in the world. He took it all off. Took it all off. That find the time when he's in Israel, they say, can anything good come out? Every choice the father and the son made for his incarnation was to strip himself of his reputation. Okay? So he became poor. And he became naked before us, literally but was actually always covered by his father. Literally, the last thing we will do him is that we will strip him of all his garments. We will make him. But the problem is that that is a view on earth. That's not the view on heaven. In heaven, he's completely covered. Completely covered. On the other hand, the thing is that we may be very rich on earth, but actually very poor in heaven because we have sent nothing across. Nothing across. We may be absolutely covered in a three-piece suit and be absolutely naked in heaven. Naked in heaven. And if you want to know these two pictures, go with me to Revelation chapter 4, 9 to 11, and then 5, 11 to 12. Look at the difference. Whenever 
the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Who is this? The Father. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, worship him who lives forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Look at this. Why are you worthy? Because of who you are. You're worthy. Because who you are. Why? Because you created everything, and by your will they exist and were created. That is why you are worthy of all these things. You come to chapter 5 and verse 11 and 12. It is different. This is Jesus. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, a number of them was 10,000, 10 times, 10,000, thousand, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength, honor, glory and blessing. The difference between the Father and the Son now. The Father receives all this because of who He is. The Son receives all this because of what He has done. Because you are slain. What he has done. Okay. This is the difference over there between the father and the son. Okay. The son is receiving everything. Why? Because he became poor for our sake and he became, made himself of no reputation. So what did God do him? He gives him all the glory, the honor, the power, the riches now and he's given him a name that is far above every other name. Therefore, Two more verses and we shall pray. Luke 21 verse 36. Watch therefore. Pray always that you may be counted worthy. That is the key. The father was found worthy because of who he is. The son was found worthy because of what he did. God says, will you be part of the lamb that was slain? Will you be found worthy? will be found worthy. And two things stand in our way. One is riches. Whatever we count as riches. Okay. And second is our reputation, our garments. These two things stand in the way. Okay. Final verse for today. This is during the sixth seal. Demonic is at the highest. So let us give the demonic first and then we go to God's counsel. Okay. 14, 15, 16. Because by Revelation chapter 16, 14, 15, 16. In 14, demonic is at the highest. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of the sea. You see, you cannot, you cannot fool people unless there is power. There will be so much demonic power now released in the last days. Okay? That all the mighty, the powerful, the kings, all will fall for the trap and go against God. But they are being pulled by God to that day, the great day of God Almighty, the battle of the great day. And what does he want the church? Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches. Therefore, I tell you, watch that you must be counted worthy to escape all these things. How does he watch? He watches and keeps his garments. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. His shame. And they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. The whole world history is moving towards that. It's moving towards Armageddon. Okay, and there is this demonic on the other side where people are, people are being pulled into the occult because of power, science and wonders. And the church that is not watching. 
He says, blessed is he who watches. And what should he do? He should keep his garments. What are those garments? These are the righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. Okay, let me ask you this question. Do you think it is easy to hear from God when you are living in a time when the enemy is speaking so loudly with power, with signs, so wonders, with miracles? He said, watch. Watch and hear. Watch and hear. And the solution is what he says. is a solution. He stands and knocks at the door. He says, get back. Open the door. Open the door. He says, if you let open, hear my voice, open the door, I will come in and I will dine with you. That is the key. I will dine with you. Okay. That's the last thing Jesus does in the gospel according to John. <coughs> chapter 21. He dines with them. Dines with them. Okay. Now, after he has dined with them, he asks the questions. Do you know? You cannot ask these questions to people who do not dine with God. Because their relationship with God is not based on love. They don't dine with God. So they don't, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't miss not having meals with God. They don't miss. They don't miss. How can you tell them? Because that is the most important part of your day. That is the dining table. The dining table. Where you dine. You dine with God. Then he asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? So you have to read chapter 21 to understand what, why is the finale of the whole life of Jesus Christ. Okay, and that's what he's trying to tell us. So we will have Peter and we shall stand, continue to pray. Tomorrow is Pastor's Conference. You will find my heart Let me be as gold And precious silver Purify my heart Let me be as gold
Father, this morning we come to you, Father, this tenth day. Once again, Lord, we come, we surrender. We lay everything down on the altar, Lord, our plans, so that you can reveal to us your plans, our dreams, so that you can give us your dream for us, our vision, so that you can give us your vision for us. We lay our eyes up, Lord. Each one, it may be something different on the altar. We tie it down to the altar. We raise that knife, Lord. And if you do not say, stay your hand, we will kill it. Let it die. Let it die, Lord. But if you release it back, we know it was from you. From now it will always be yours. We cannot lose it because we don't have it. Your word says if any man finds his life, he will lose it. But if he loses his life for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom, the king, he will find it. The church in Lavadisha had thought they had found it. But they didn't realize they had lost it all. God hadn't come and warned them. They wouldn't have known. If God doesn't speak to us, we wouldn't know either. We wouldn't know either. Buy from me is what you said. These things are not free. They have to be paid for with life. Help us, Lord. Some of us, many who are listening online, need patience. 
they cannot be bought with gold some need long suffering some need humility this is not available in the market they have to be bought not with gold but through faith that goes through the fire trials and testings so that one day we can reach that point that god says we lack nothing because we have everything that is god christ in us as paul would say the hope of my glory for i no longer love that's how he reached there because the life that he lived he lived by faith of the son of god he had reached that point where he lacked nothing he could say from the prison i knew i know how to abound i know how to abase for i can do all things through christ jesus who strengthens me yes he had reached yes. that point another man outside of your son had reached that point so it is possible for everything you say is possible lord yes to him who believes yes 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 it is possible so help us lord help us lord help us help us help us lord touch lord so many struggling yes lord struggling But you are inviting everyone today come as Bonhoeffer said Christ bids every man to come to him and die first and then love come to the end of yourself your knowledge your wisdom your power your money your strength come to the end of it then you will realize Christ is sufficient what money cannot do he can he can what my knowledge wisdom cannot do he can what my power cannot do his power can what all the money in the wealth cannot do he can that's why you said through your prophet it is not by might not by power that this mountain shall be flattened it is through my holy spirit oh zerubbabel zerubbabel this mountain that stands before you shall become a plain but when it is done your cry will be grace grace it was by grace and grace of lord so that no man will boast ever ever before god lord it's not by might not by strength it is by my spirit says the lord and i pray father everyone out there from ace to rg to mq's family to hamid's family brad and see judge share doesn't matter what situation they are in Jesus. i pray they will know Jesus. it is by your spirit Jesus. these mountains shall be moved and once they are moved it will be a plain it will be a plain that is what you are able to do exceedingly abundantly 
more than we can think or imagine or hope for. That is who you are. Help us, Lord, to come to the end of ourselves that we can experience what God can do. The children of Israel had to come to the end of the Red Sea and then move at God's command to see what God could do. What God could do. They had never in their wildest imagination thought this was what God was going to do. The end of man is the beginning of God. And I pray today, this 10th day of the 11th month, we will surrender, Lord, once again, totally, completely, all our situations and say, Lord, here it is. You take it and you become the Lord, God of my life. Come, Lord Jesus. I hear your voice. I open my heart. Dine with me. And I sit at the table with you. I know my soul is weaned like a child in his mother's breast. I will not concern myself with things that are too high or difficult for me. Instead, I open the door of my heart and say, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, take over. Take over, Lord. Take over. Take over. Be the Lord of our life. Be the Lord of our homes. Be the Lord of our churches. Be the Lord of our nations. Take over, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you. We trust you. We believe in you, Lord. We trust you. We surrender, Lord. Surrender. We trust you. We surrender, Lord. We just surrender. But Lord, we pray you guard our hearts. Yes, you guard our hearts. That in our hearts you are supreme. Yes, Lord. That you are there in our hearts and dining with us every day, Lord. You are the center. It's not riches, it's not reputation, it's not power, it is not ease, it is not knowledge, it's not wisdom, it is not success, it is not any of these things, Lord. You are the Lord of our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. Take your rightful place, Father. Take your place. That each one who is listening has believed and committed will have the peace of Christ guard their hearts and minds Father we just thank you thank you for your son that he became poor that we might become rich that he became weak that he might we might become strong and he made himself of no reputation that we may have a name in eternity Lord your name thank you thank you Father for the cross thank you for the transference the exchange that took place on the cross. We just thank you, thank you, Jesus. And for this morning, once again, we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we declare, Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.